Welcome to the 58 West King Podcast. I am your host, Tony Cosentino. I'm joined once again by Nate Molinay of the Taco Corp Fantasy Football Podcast. Long time no see, Nate. Yep, long time. Let's go ahead and get inside each other real quick with some manager on manager. Mm. Why don't you go ahead and fire away? What is your number one selfish personal bucket list item? I thought about this one for a while, but I feel like I've already crossed it off my list. And that's just like travel, like worldwide travel. So the past couple of years, I've been lucky enough to visit Germany four times, the Netherlands, Switzerland, Belgium, Hawaii, and a bunch of other places in the continental United States that my wife and kids uh, didn't get to travel with me to see. I was with a, a unit that just sent us TDY all over. So I feel like I've already done a lot of stuff without them. So there isn't really anything else that I would want to do that doesn't involve them. So I don't think I'd consider anything else selfish. I got my greed out of the way. That sounds good. For me, it is to watch a baseball game in every single MLB park. That is my number one. Um, I want to watch a day game, an afternoon game, and a night game. That is my plan once I get to the point where I can take a summer off and just throw my kids in the car and let's go watch baseball all summer and just drive it. You know, drive around yeah. the country, nothing to do, hotel it. Or if I had a little motorhome or something like that, that'd be cool to just park it somewhere. But yeah, definitely to watch a game in every single MLB park at all times of the day. Like day, the afternoon where it gets into dusk-ish, right? And then mm-hmm. um, a night game. I think that's awesome. You get a different perspective of what every like all park is like and when you want to watch games at them. So I've watched like Camden Yard where the Orioles play. I hate it during the daytime, but at night it's so awesome. Like it's so beautiful. Like the parks are different. That's awesome. Are you guys going to get like matching orange Marlins jerseys? Be like the Marlin man at every stadium? Yeah, I'll probably buy something. Like I think at that point in my life, like I'll probably buy like I've always had this thing where I don't like wearing other teams things and I I I despise it when I see people do that. But as I get older, I'm like this is my team, but I I really like players too. I think a lot of players do a lot of good things in the world, so I would like to support those players and stuff. So I think in that time, like whoever's, you know, I want to be able to say I watched a game there and more like a fucking Ronald Acuna jersey or something, you know, mm-hmm. or this Luis Robert guy or something like that. You know, Jason Dominguez for the Yankees. Like, I got to see these phenoms who are just like play. And I, I want something that reminds me of when I was there and preferably mm-hmm. a clothing item. I want to wear a Mike Trout jersey so bad, but he plays for the Angels who claim to play in Los Angeles. Yeah. They don't. They play in Anaheim, Orange County. Best player in baseball. I've followed him as long as he's been in the major leagues. And it sucks. I can never wear his jersey. You think he's Ever. the greatest player of all time? I think it right now he is the greatest player. I mean, he's on a historic pace. I think if he keeps it up, he can be for sure. I think he's the greatest baseball player of all time. Really? Even before his career's over? Or do you think like just if he maintains that pace? If he were to retire today, he would be the greatest baseball player of all time. Okay. Fair statement. I don't think it's that bold. I think a lot of people probably agree with you. I just want to see the consistency. I want to see him do it for 15, 20 years. I mean, I also respect the fact that he signed such a big contract with the Angels. And I know we're a fantasy football podcast, but I think that says a lot to like 
a legacy of a player when they stay with one single team, right? Even mm-hmm. like I mean, the guy could go play for the Yankees, you know, he can go play for the Red Sox, you could play for the Dodgers, you know, who have a probably a better shot at winning a title. But you know, they got pieces there too, and they just got Joe Madden. So yeah. he knows what they do, but you know, he got his cash, he doesn't talk about it. You don't hear about the guy. I think he's like no he's like so under marketed, but I think that's like one thing that is true about him as opposed to like mm-hmm. other people in professional sports. But yeah, I don't know if it's because he's just a quiet guy or if it's because like Bud Selig and MLB is just so bad at marketing like their talent like every other sport does it really well but for whatever reason mlb is just you see their commercials and you just kind of cringe because they're all bad we're so bad in america when it comes to those worldwide sports like if they did the stuff that like the nba does because basketball is like the biggest worldwide sport right now right i mean soccer and baseball like the u.s is just so far down like you know you got to get in those other countries and, and do stuff in your off seasons and stuff and it just sucks that baseball's off season is so short you know i mean it's really mm-hmm. three months if you if you make it you know far enough it's three months until you start spring training again so you don't have those long breaks i've been watching espn and like all the little talking head shows the last week or two and like people are complaining about how short the season is going to be but like any normal year, you hear people complain about how long the season is. It's like, yeah. pick one. You can't hate them both. Like, pick the 162 or pick the 60. Like, which one do you want? Guess what, assholes? Baseball is a summer and spring sport. It is terrible with how long it goes into the winter time. Like, when it's, mm-hmm. they're playing in November, you can't play games in November in Boston, New mm-hmm. York. You can't do it like anywhere on the East Coast. Any of those teams are decent. You can't play games there because it's 25 degrees, wind going everywhere, rain and all this other stuff. Like you just can't do it. Like, I wish we could talk about baseball more because I I think like that's probably the only thing I love more than football is baseball. It's the greatest game on earth. Still America's pastime. I don't care what anybody says. All right. My question is when deciding on toilet paper, do you factor in softness or how many squares are on each roll? Because some of those super soft brands seem like they only have about 26 sheets on each roll. I go for softness and that is no doubt. There are a couple things that I will spend money on and it's like my recreation, which I don't do too much, but when I do, I'll spend a lot of money on it. Mm -hmm. And then toilet paper and it has to be soft and I think the only reason it really feels like there's 26 sheets on the roll is because I know I'm this way. I don't give a damn how thick and soft the toilet paper is. I'm ripping a fat line off that thing and not taking any chances. So, I mean, it's to where like, you know, on a, on an angel soft roll, I can probably wipe myself eight, nine times and be able to flush it. I got Charmin blue. Like I got in my pad. I mean, it's three wipes and I got to flush three wipes and flush. And on the, on the third wipe, it's like, am I going to plug it or not? You know, like I don't care how thick the toilet paper is. I'm using the same amount that I would with a, a shitty roll. I'm on board. I go for softness. You know, I don't want to use that single ply sandpaper stuff that like the military buys like government contracts out. But I will say that there was a short period during quarantine here a couple months ago where I was looking for quantity over quality just because you couldn't find it anywhere. Like the commissary was out, Target was out, Costco was out, Walmart was out. Nobody had toilet paper. And we were lucky. We bought one of those giant Costco packs like right before the quarantine hit, like in early February or something. So we had a little bit to kind of bridge the gap, but like it was close. It was close by like three rolls (laughs) for a family of four. So I know we have like the shower, like with shower heads and stuff that we could like use as bidets as an alternative but like i don't want to have to get undressed every time i got to drop a deuce so yeah. it was close yeah i had to use shitty toilet paper during quarantine i i went through probably like 20 rolls of really crappy toilet paper and mm-hmm. it was the absolute worst i just had some things that came up to where i wasn't home so when i got back home like quarantine it hit so it was just like yeah. a shit show unintended 
It was the worst. I hated it. You feel like you're scratching your skin open and yeah. what's going to happen? You know, like, am I going to get an infection because I'm using this toilet paper because I don't like wipe softly. Am I going to get COVID in my ass? What's going to happen? I dig deep, you know, <laughs> ain't nobody telling me that they, they wiped their last wipe and they got a fully clean, like white sheet of paper, you know, but yeah, you can't do that stuff. Like I got to dig it because ugh. So, since we're on the subject of toilet paper, and bathroom etiquette. I've been using the uh, the wipes. Like as I get older, I employ those more in my my bathroom strategies. What's your method between going through dry and wet? I don't only use wipes, and I don't only use toilet paper. Yeah. Uh, it'll only be wipes if like there's a mess, right? I'm not going to get into detail because you don't want to hear that detail. But it's the closer. It's the Kenley Jansen of this lineup. All right, that's it. Okay, so here's the big thing: if you use a wet wipe, do you finish with a dry? No. No. Jesus Christ. What are you, an animal? Hold on. I don't use the wipes that are like so soaked and saturated in whatever the liquid is that I need to dry up what's going on down there. All right. It doesn't matter. It's wet. <laughs> it's wet. I like the freshness. All right. Oh, it's premeditated swamp ass. All right. Hold on. So is that like the bidet? Like you wet it and then you use toilet paper? Like I've never, I've never used one. I don't know. I never used one. I was scared when I was in the Middle East because you walk into the bathroom <laughs> and it's fucking flooded. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Moving on. In the last episode, we covered the RB3 group. Today, we're going to cover our RB2 guys. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. So the first guy, number 24, we had Mark Ingram. Yep. So I had Mark Ingram at 24 as well. And this is mostly because I think that this is the backfield that he's going to use committee and it's going to use committee really heavy. And I just don't think he's going to get all of that work like he did last year. I love this dude, but now there are two other people who can really score touchdowns as well. So I think that the opportunity is lost a little bit. Um, you have Lamar Jackson's ability with Mark Ingram's ability with J.K. Dobbins' ability. And I think that is scary to try to predict to be more than like a low end back end RB2. Yeah. If you told me that he was guaranteed three more touchdowns than I think he would, he'd probably be like in the 18s or something like that, because mm -hmm. then that would be like a more defined role with more yards. But I think they know what they're doing and I think they're going to pound the ball, but they have all the resources and assets. And I think they're going to try to keep them fresh so that they can keep pounding the ball late into the years. Yeah. Ingram finished last year as the RB8. So you mentioned touchdowns. He accounted for 15 of those last year. Touchdown regression is absolutely coming and Dobbins should eat into his workload as well. I've got him penciled in for 30 fewer touches and seven fewer touchdowns. I kind of had a feeling he would produce in Baltimore last season. I know you were high on him, but I don't think he's going to do the same thing. He can't replicate that. Do that two years in a row at 30 years old. Can he? I don't think so. And it's enough for me. Like, like J.K. Dobbins didn't make the list of the top 36, but I had J.K. Dobbins at 33 solely because I think that they split that load and Yep. Maybe J.K. Dobbins needs a little bit more time to get acclimated to the NFL game. I think the dude's a monster, but I don't think they're going to look to wear him out because he's going to be the future there because Mark Henry's, you know, he's climbing up there in age a little bit for running backs. Those guys only nine spots apart. I think they're fairly comparable. It's just, I don't know who's going to get it. I assume it's going to be Mark Ingram to start, but there's just too many options that I really have a feeling that they're going to use at their disposal to keep them fresh. For sure. All right. Number 23 for us was David Montgomery. I had David Montgomery at 26. This is more of a reflection of the offense as a whole for me, as opposed to David Montgomery. I like the guy's ability. I just don't like that he has to work with Mitch Trubisky. If it's Nick Foles, we all know how that's going to go. He's probably going to get benched later on for Mitch Trubisky because I don't know why they keep paying people like that money and they don't want to use them, but it seems to be a trend. I just don't think they're going to have the opportunity. Did you see that picture going around on 
Twitter of Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, and Mitch Trubisky in their Pro Bowl uniforms from, uh, I think, a couple seasons ago. I haven't seen it, no. It's funny. Comments are good no matter where you see it. So check that out. The internet never loses. Yeah, it never fails. All right, David Montgomery, the thunder to Tariq Cohen's lightning. Uh, Last season, they were more like wind, like a light breeze and sprinkles. Um, That offense was bad. Mitch Trubisky was bad. Uh, I love the opportunity Montgomery has. 230 carries with some work in the passing game. His yardage total calculated with a below four yards per carry average. He was at 3.7 last season. So even if Chicago remains in the same in terms of offensive efficiency, which was bottom half of the league last season, Montgomery still settled in in this RB2 range for me at 23. For sure. Next up at number 22 is Jonathan Taylor. Yep. So I have Jonathan Taylor at 25. I love this offense as I look more at it. I think I like the Colts to compete for the AFC title. And I love the fact that Phillip Rivers is there and the options that they have. I kind of wish that Jonathan Taylor wasn't there so I can make a draft pick of Marlon Mack would be probably like a RB3 in a lot of people's books. And I would get him in the fourth, fifth round. Bargain. A definite bargain. Their offensive line is fucking immaculate but i think that they are going to split this because i don't think that their coaches are going to want to burn people out i think marlon mack would be for me a really high end rb2 if he were by himself but i think Mm -hmm. Jonathan taylor takes that over at some point and becomes like the lead horse as they just say hey we're gonna run with this he's probably a better back than mack but yeah i got him at 25 yeah, 247 carries last season for Marlon Mack, 52 for Naheem Hines, 51 for Wilkins, 49 for Williams, and then 56 for Jacoby Brissett. So there's going to be plenty of work for Jonathan Taylor. The team's going to want to run the ball, and the Colts didn't draft him with the 41st pick overall um, to not use him. He had a lot of miles on him in Wisconsin, so I think they're definitely going to employ him right away. I've got 220 touches for just under 1,000 yards. Mack's still in the mix with 180, so I'm, I'm with you. I think it'll be a committee. I'm assuming Indy will kind of phase Taylor into the offense, give him a larger workload as the season progresses. The opportunities there, the offensive line is is stacked. And then the non-cursing trash talk will most definitely be there with Philip Rivers. So I'm looking forward to what Jonathan Taylor does there in Indy in 2020. I'm high on them too. Next up is uh, David Johnson, number 21. Yeah, David Johnson at 22. I think this is still a big passing offense. I don't think that they are going to be so dedicated to running the ball just because David Johnson is there. He's getting older in the tooth as well. I think you're going to have some injury concern there. For some reason, people like to get injured in Houston. There's too much to prove for basically trading DeAndre Hopkins for David Johnson. DeAndre Hopkins and everything else that you have basically to get a guy like David Johnson to have them need to prove it in the passing game. I did this in a PPR format, and I have him at 22. If it was standard, I'd have him lower in a half point, which this league is. I'd have him lower, say, in the one point per reception. I'd have him at 22. I think he's going to catch balls. I think they have something to prove to say Deshaun Watson is what makes us good as opposed to DeAndre Hopkins, and they're going to fail miserably. Yeah, I had him at 18, but there was about a seven-point difference between my 18 and my 22, so it could have gone either way with him. I even downgraded his stats slightly. He had two notable games last season in Arizona. Every other game he played in was bad. So games like 11 for 37, 11 for 40, 12 for 34. And then Drake came in and just kind of took that job. And props to the coaching staff for kind of pivoting away from David Johnson and using Drake once he uh, showed that he could produce. I'm skeptical as well about what he has left in the tank. Houston projects to have a better offensive line than Arizona, but not by much. I don't know. If it was Belichick that made that trade, I think I'd have a lot more faith in him. But unfortunately, it was Bill O'Brien, and this is where we're at. Yep. Maybe he'll play tight end. Maybe. Maybe. They just throw him in the slot. Probably do a lot better. But number 20, Le'Veon Bell. Yep, so I had Le'Veon Bell at 23, low in RB2. I think he's fine. 
but I just don't like the Jets offense as a whole. I do kind of like Sam Darnold as a player, but I also like Denzel Mims a lot more. I think they have weapons in the receiving core that can be really good for them, but I don't trust their team. Le'Veon Bell is also getting older and they don't, they just don't throw the ball to the running back as much as you would like to see with him. I don't see them being so competitive to be able to give him more opportunity to run the ball. And that's a real problem when I'm looking at running backs and especially if they're not in a team that's going to toss the ball around a lot. Yeah, it's Adam Gase and he's been a sub 500 coach outside of his time with Peyton Manning. So that's who's running the show in New York. But for Bell, over 300 touches last season, only four touchdowns. I've got him down for just over 280 touches and some positive regression in the touchdown department. He was the RB18 last season in terms of fantasy points per game. And I want to put him higher, but I'm always down on Adam Gase. I want to say something negative towards Adam Gase, like take a personal shot. At this point, I don't know if we really have to. All right, moving on. Number 19, Melvin Gordon. So I had Melvin Gordon at 18. I'm really intrigued, but for me, I guess I'm I'm probably, honestly, he's at 18. I'm probably not going to draft him, even if he's there. I will probably bump down to like 19, player I actually like a lot more for me. We'll get to him a little bit later. There's just too many people. There's too many people there. They have good running backs. I don't like Philip Lindsay, honestly, but, but he produces, and then their offensive weapons are nasty. And if Drew Locke takes a step, like I'm really intrigued about Drew Locke. I think they're going to be freaking phenomenal. It's just a shame that they, they're in the division with the Chiefs. Yeah, I think he's going to get, he's going to be the main guy there. I think, what if he gets hurt? You know, if Philip Lindsay wasn't there, I would feel so much better about it. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm like 18. I think his upside yeah. is really high too, but his floor I feel is really low. Yeah, I have him at 20. He had 220 touches in his rookie season, 310 in 2016, 370 in 2017, 240 in a short in 2018, and then 200 touches in 12 games last season after his little holdout. I've got him down for 240, which seems realistic on a Fangio team that figures to run the ball. This is the third team now that I think we would benefit a lot as fantasy players to see like that week three preseason game to see how that rotation works. Yeah. Again, it's a committee. I'm not sure if I'm taking any of these guys in the second, third round. So I'm not sure if I take him as the 18th running back off the board. It's weird because I have him at 18 and there's no way I take him. It's too high. I take Mark Ingram and I have Mark Ingram at 24. Like, you know, <laughs> well, it's a better offense. I mean, I think you, when you factor that in, that's that makes sense. I think what gets me with Melvin Gordon is this dude has to have something to prove, man. Like, you went from the Chargers, right? Who basically said, We're going to go with Austin Eckler. You can walk, mm-hmm. right? You go to an in division rival in the Broncos, right? And you're going to go there, and there's another guy who's like Eckler and Philip Lindsay who's popping off about how it's his job now and all this stuff right and it's like all right dude like i either have something to prove or i don't you know i don't know where his mind is he seems like a good dude but who knows if it's just cash or he really wants to play yeah i'm anxious to see how it works out for those guys what denver does but we'll go ahead and move on here to our number 18 guy and that is chris carson Yep, I have Chris Carson at 20. I don't think I've ever owned Chris Carson, but I really like him. I, I like what Seattle does. Seattle's that quiet team. You know, they're really quiet, kind of like New England. I mean, New England, the only things you hear about New England are they signed Antonio Brown, they signed Cam Newton. Oh, uh, Tom Brady left. That's literally like, I, that, that's all I could think about in like the last four years about New England, if hearing about them, right? And you don't ever hear anything about Seattle. They just kind of do their business. And I like those teams. I like that they... 
they preach defense. I like that they they want to run the ball and the rock. They they understand the climate that they live in, the yep. amount of noise that those things can provide. Um, their play action game is really good, but I think it's so good that it limits some of his potential to get closer to the uh, top tier of RB2 into RB1 because I think he has a lot of that in him. And I think that they could provide that, but their play action game and Russell Wilson, they're so damn good oh, yeah. um, that it, it limits a little bit of it. His ADP is number 17, the running back 17. I have met 15, so a little bit higher on him. He had 315 touches last season for over 1,500 yards. Huge numbers. Bringing his projections down, coming off injury. He's got the hip, and then with Carlos Hyde on the roster. I still have him at 280 for nearly 1,300 yards. Another high-volume running back that you know Pete Carroll loves, that son of a bitch. I don't know. I think the Carlos Hyde signing was more of an indication that Rashad Penny's not going to be there to start the season, and I think he might not be there for the first half. I'm not sure, but I'm not too worried about that. I think Chris Carson will still be super high volume there for those guys. You think Penny's done in the NFL? He hasn't done much. He's oft injured. I don't know if he's going to get a second contract. I don't think I'm skeptical. No, I don't, I don't. It sucks because that was a first round pick for Seattle, right? Yeah. It's just weird. Like, he didn't come out of like San Diego State. And for some reason, I feel like he's really small. I never understood that pick. But. It's Pete Carroll. Yeah. All right. Moving on to our number 17, Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Yep. So I had this guy at 17. And because I love this offense, uh, I think that he's going to be the bell cow there. I think it might take him a little bit of time. So the Damian Williams might play a little bit of factor, but I don't, I feel like he's going to be a guy that we're going to want come week six, week seven, and it's going to be maybe a little choppy at the beginning, especially with no preseason games for a rookie to get in there and get like true game time against opponents who, you know, you're not used to seeing every single day and stuff like that. But so I think that limits his potential to be an RB1. But yeah, definitely 17. I feel really good about that. That's someone that I would take. I love Chiefs running backs. I spoke about it on the last podcast about how Damian Williams is a pure handcuff in that situation because I like the fact that Andy Reid uses one running back the majority of the time and the two yeah. years that he had bad ones were one year in Philly about 14 years ago and last year the running game was stagnant because they switched it up. The last time he did that when he was in Philly, he came out and said, I'll never do that again. And then he did it this year. I don't foresee that being a problem. It just, I think without the preseason, it's going to take him a little bit of time to get going, but definitely someone you're probably going to want if you could hold out um, those first few weeks. Yeah, he was, in terms of ADP, the running back 14. I had him a little lower at number 17. A high profile running back joining a Super Bowl winning roster. I don't think we see this too often. Uh, I love the fit and understand he isn't taking the job right away. As you've explained, I think we mentioned on the last episode with Damian Williams still in the roster. It's going to be, he's going to bridge maybe four to six weeks and then I think Hilaire if he fits will kind of take that job and run with it I have Hilaire down for 200 touches and over 1200 yards there aren't many teams that kind of stay on the throttle regardless of the score but KC is definitely one of them so moving on to our next guy is James Connor at number 16 you guys are so wrong on this and I I was (laughs) hesitant to do running backs because I know that I'm probably polar opposite than a lot of people and how I feel about running backs and that's what I draft all the time and maybe that was strategically done by you but I was honest and and while our 16 is there, it's because it's heavily weighted towards me to get him to 16, closer to where he belongs, and I have him at 11. And I yeah, have no yeah. idea why this guy's ADP is 19, why our average was 16. You're going to talk about where you have him at, but last year, everybody's on James Conner. Why? What's changed? The only thing that changed was the quarterback situation there. The dude is an animal. If you're going to have Big Ben, like you're expecting Big Ben to play the entire year. They get Chase Claypool to open up 
some bigger pieces right there. They have Juju, they have Vance, right? They have all those pieces there. What's different? Not much. What makes it different from last year to this year of what the Steelers are going to do with the ball? James Conner, I think, is going to be a bell cow. I don't foresee Jalen Samuels taking over some big role. I mean, I don't even know if we had Jalen Samuels on this list. That's how much he doesn't play a factor into this offense, right? And there's fucking 46 running backs. 46 running backs. And when has a Pittsburgh Steeler running back not have been an RB1? Le'Veon Bell was the entire time when Le'Veon Bell was out. James Conner was RB1. So the fact that, like, James Conner outperformed Le'Veon Bell's statistics when he was in the game, when he took over that role, when Le'Veon Bell went through all his shit, right? Like, he was a better running back. Same with D'Angelo yeah. Williams was a better running back in Pittsburgh than Le'Veon Bell was. They all produced better than Le'Veon Bell on average when Big Ben is playing. And if we're going to say that Big Ben's the quarterback, that entire offense has to get a lift. So the fact that he's not an RB1 on everybody's list and where you have him is fucking atrocious. Jesus Christ. But I'm telling you, you guys are going to miss out on James Conner and I feel it sucks that I'm on this podcast right now talking about it because I would get James Conner a lot later. Maybe someone else thinks the way that I do, but I don't think they have him as high as you, but before I give my little spiel, so number one, yes, the entire 39 episodes up to this point of this podcast have been a ploy just to get your running back rankings. And now I have them and I'm going to destroy your ass this year. You don't yes, know it works. We're done. <laughs> so I have them at 21. And I have him at 21 because some of the injury risk is built in. Uh, we've also talked before, I've talked to Matt about it. I believe I've talked to you about it on this show about how I don't like relying on another player to determine that player's success. Like Derrick Henry, I don't want to rely on Ryan Tannehill for Derrick Henry's success. I don't want to rely on Sam Darnold to determine Le'Veon Bell's success. It's the same thing with Big Ben. He's an older quarterback. He's coming off Tommy John surgery. We're not going to be able to see him throw the ball until the season starts, right, in NFL action. So there's a lot of risk there. And James Conner is also oft injured. So don't forget that. He's a year older. Last year, he was oft injured again, even though that was a really bad team with Hodges and Rudolph throwing the ball. So last year was a shit show in Pittsburgh with Big Ben going down, obviously. It sucked the fantasy life out of Juju and James Conner and everyone else on that roster. He only played in 10 games, but he did manage almost 13 fantasy points per game, which was good for 32nd. Big Ben is back, so the passing game should be better than it was with those guys, uh, Hodges and Rudolph. I've got Connor with a generous... 230 touches, which considering his 2018 270 touches in 14 games seems pretty reasonable. Again, the concern there is the health for not only Connor, but for Big Ben. And that's built into my ranking here. So stop yelling at me. You're wrong. That's fine. That's why we're having these debates. And now we have audio evidence to rub these numbers in each other's faces come this time next year. Can we move on? I'll put my nuts on your drums. <laughs> All right. Number 15, Leonard Fournette. Leonard Fournette. I don't like where I have him. So our consensus, which I'm kind of liking what Matt did. He was higher than us. So I have him at 19. And this is one where like we talked about Melvin Gordon at 18. Like I would definitely draft Leonard Fournette at 19 above him even though I have him ranked back behind him and I think it's more of a, a tell on that organization as a whole they've dismantled their defense that was what took them to the AFC championship game they got rid of Blake Goldles who helped get them to there with what he was able to do right uh, Gardner Minshew is not a good quarterback and they literally signed keep him on the roster and he's going to start because he sells merch and he's a marketing asset i don't know how you go from being in the afc championship game to and literally should have beat the patriots 
Mm-hmm. They had the Patriots by the Nats to and to just dismantle your team and let it all fall out. I think is a tell to the entire organization. I think they're terrible. Gardner Minshew is not good, and it really limits the ability for Leonard Fournette to be able to move. I think Gardner Minshew is worse than Blake Bortles. I think it just really limits what he can do because the boxes are going to be stacked. I love him because he gets the amount of touches. Last year he was really touchdown deficient. He didn't score touchdowns, but he had all the touches in the world. When they're down, he catches the ball. I I love everything about Leonard Fournette. I think he's like a top five running back in the entire NFL. He's on the wrong organization. So I have him at 19 for that reason. Yeah, I had him at 16. So I'm with ADP here. Matt had him a little bit higher than we did. 340 touches last season. I get that he's in that contract year in Jacksonville. I'm pretty sure they're going to move on. I just don't see that kind of volume again in the passing game. 76 on 100 targets. I'm going lower. So 280 total touches for over 1,200 yards. Not super excited about him, but with the volume, it just worked out for him being number 16 on my list. So he'll be a high-end running back too, though, if he stays on the field all year. So the thing with his catches are he'll have one or two the entire game Mm -hmm. until the last two drives in the fourth quarter when they're down like 20-something points and they're just doing hurry up let's throw the ball every time and everybody else sags back and he catches four passes on one drive and that's something that I don't like to keep bringing it up but I do but in my championship year here right like Blake Bortles as my quarterback was for that reason their defense was Mm -hmm. so terrible that you're just going to get tons of yards at the end and that really helps his value he doesn't get the touchdowns because they don't score and I think they're gonna have Mm -hmm. a hard time scoring and he doesn't have Blake Bortles giving him those dump offs he took his team to the AFC championship game (sighs) All right, moving on to our number 14, Austin Eckler. Fuck this guy. I have him at 15 just because he's the guy in town. I hate Austin Eckler so much because he's the type of player that I I like having in PPR. I just don't believe in him. I think they're going to have a rough time there. I think their other passing assets will be straight, but I don't, I just don't like him, but I have him at 15 because he's got all the opportunity and he's the guy in town. I don't think that he's going to have a problem. They got rid of Melvin Gordon for Austin Eckler. Like he's going to get the ball. So you have to kind of factor that in, but I won't touch this dude. And then I'll lose by 15 because um, some asshole has him like Trey. He'll catch eight balls and beat me. Yeah, we were all down on Eckler. One to two positions per ADP. 92 receptions for nearly 1,000 yards and eight touchdowns last season. The passing work was fantastic. Melvin Gordon is gone. Phillip Rivers is gone. They did draft Joshua Kelly out of a very prestigious university. I would expect Justin Jackson and Kelly, though, to soak up some of those carries and some of the targets. But I think Eckler will be that weapon, that offensive weapon, getting that passing work. I have him down for still 220 touches, which is the workload he received last year. So having him at 14 with the averages kind of dialed back a little bit, kind of where he settled, seems like a pretty safe bet for me. Next is... Is Todd Gurley at number 13. So I have Gurley at 14. He's going to be the guy there in town. I don't think the Elo Smith experiment is a good one. So because they wouldn't have brought a guy in like Todd Gurley, being back in the Georgia area, I think is really cool for him. Being on a team that's red and black and white is also kind of cool for him, right? Maybe they yeah. bring back those, um, they'll come out with those sweet gray pants from like the, what was that dude's name? Something Anderson, who was their quarterback when they went to this NFC Championship game and when they were doing the Dirty Bird and stuff, the Dion. Jamal Anderson yeah, Jamal was Anderson, running back, right? And then, ah, oh, fuck, who was their quarterback? I don't know. He was like a, a loppy white guy. He was like loppy white guy before Peyton Manning became the loppy white guy. Yeah. I think they're loaded. The, having those weapons in the passing game, I think he's going to give him more pass catching opportunities in the offense too. Matt Ryan is very comfortable 
passing the ball to the running back. Don't know how much it factors into their offense with who their coordinator is, but they're going to put up a lot of points. And I think he's going to be the guy that's getting it at the goal line, factoring in touchdowns into that and pass catches. I don't really like to factor pass catching too much, but they're going to move the ball and he's going to be a part of it because they have all the passing weapons and a quarterback who went to the Super Bowl, who was MVP candidate and all that kind of stuff. And running offense. Definitely. Yeah, we were all a little higher than ADP on him. Uh, 250 touches last year for just over 1,000 yards and 14 touchdowns. Got into the end zone a lot. This was in stark contrast to his 2018 and 2017 totals, however. In both of those seasons, Gurley had at least 330 touches and 1,800 yards. Uh, We know about the degenerative arthritic knee. We also know he was released by LA and signed with Atlanta. He still has a bottom half offensive line, but he gets that upgraded quarterback, as you mentioned. And then he has those elite receivers on the outside to help create some space. It was a fully guaranteed one-year deal for $5.5 million with a $2 million signing bonus. McVay and the Rams... Last season kind of seemed stuck between preserving him for a playoff run, and then midseason they were using him to try and stay in playoff contention, which failed. In Atlanta, I don't think they'll be too concerned about throttling him back at all. So I still have him projected with 250 touches. So I still have projected low. It's low, and he's still sitting at number 13 on my list. So if he's average or above average, like he can easily be an RB1, and I wouldn't be surprised. All right, before we move on, let's go ahead and take a quick break. Welcome back. Let's recommend a book and give a solid reason why someone who hasn't read it should read it. I'll let you go first. All right. So my book is called Man's Search for Meaning. It's by Victor E. Frankel. This book is a guy who is in the medical field for psychology, or that was, but he was he was a part of the Holocaust as a prisoner. And he spent his time at Auschwitz and he talks a lot about the having like sort of that law of attraction, but positive mindset for everything bad going on in your life. Like he was literally in the worst situation that's ever been on this planet. I don't think it's arguably that the worst place to ever be in human history was probably Auschwitz, right? And how his mindset and his mentality through it was fairly positive and uplifting and how that changed the experience of Auschwitz for him, uh, as opposed to a lot of other people who we typically hear about, you know, the horror and stuff. He does talk about that stuff, but he talks about like a lot about how the mind in crappy situations and stuff like that to where you can find what is my purpose in this situation, right? Mm. Being in Auschwitz, that's why it's named A Man's Search for Meaning. But it's phenomenal. It's a fairly short read uh, comparatively. It's 165 pages That's that actually have typing on it. So it's a fairly short read, but it's really good. And I would recommend it to anybody. I'm, all, I'm really into, it sounds weird. I always feel bad for saying this, but I'm really into like the whole Holocaust and Nazi Germany, Hitler and all that kind of stuff of like that era of history and understanding it because it is so, it has to do with the mind so much. And I'm really intrigued yeah. by the mind, like how Hitler was able to rally people for his cause and how fairly easy it was for him you know and like that whole movement and stuff and like how all those things happened in history gotten to see a couple of the holocaust sites and i've been to like flossenburg which was all started out as a labor camp to mine for marble and then ultimately turned into a kill camp i've seen like their the 
oven where they cremated the people and stuff. Rough. It's pretty deep, but I'm really intrigued by that era because of people just did that stuff willingly, you know, and because it was the orders and that's what they were doing. And like a lot of how we do combat or we treat prisoners and the way that we are code of conduct, law of armed conflict and stuff now that we abide by in our wars are directly shaped off of the things that happen there. The way that we mm-hmm. say we follow orders, right? It's always lawful orders, right? The president yeah. of the United States could tell us to kill you, right? Could tell me you need to kill this guy. I'm the president and I wouldn't do it because it's not lawful. Like, you know, like we yeah. have that moral instinct to us that wasn't there, you know? What's the name of it? One more time. Man's Search for Meaning, Victor E. Frankel. Okay. It was like, I think eight bucks at like Barnes and Noble or something like that. All right. My pick was a book on like the fundamentals to what makes an effective leader. A lot of the lessons in this book um, apply to the military. They translate it for the business environment and then really just any team. It's all about holding yourself accountable, owning your mistakes, the mistakes your team makes and how that, uh, when you do that, how that makes you a better leader and then how it makes your team more effective. And that book is Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. And I believe you have read that book. For sure. Good recommendation. Audiobook solid. Those guys read it. They do a great job. They're former Navy SEALs, so you get a little bit of their war stories. And like I said, they apply it to just the military business environment, and they, get, they dig into the lesson really well. So it's one of those books where you read it and you take notes and kind of bookmark it for application later. The thing I liked about extreme ownership is it kind of changed the way I think about a lot of things in life. That is something that I'm learning to balance as well. But because I get too extreme with like, I can fix this or I can, you know, eradicate something or it's my fault or I should have found a different way, right? Especially when interacting with other people. But it's kind of changed the way that I I do things at work as well, right? And like empowering people a lot more, right? And taking their things because I think a lot of times like we have the answers. Like for instance, in my shop, right? We're we're actually building a formalized training and evaluation process and like structure and progression within it, right? Um, Because we didn't have it there. And I was like, wait, the military runs like this, but because where I work, they don't do anything that's like military-ish. So I have all the answers, right? I've done it for the last nine years of my life in space community, right? Like I can tell you, we need an IPOI. We need to do this, 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 right? And I can build it out in like two months or I could be like, boom, we're going to do this, 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 right? And it's like, no, they need to have a piece of this, right? By, by me doing that, it provides them ownership, which makes me have a lot more ownership of my people, right? Like, mm-hmm. or lack, I don't want to say the word control, but They'll believe in the ideas that I have a lot more, which will make me more of an effective leader because I'll say, hey, we got this going on, right? But you can use like centralized command, decentralized execution. So it's like you say, hey, I want this to happen. You let them do it, right? So you're providing that ownership at all different levels, which changes the way that your entire team works, um, the beliefs in them and stuff like that. But then when it fails, that's my fault, right? But what I'm going to hear out of them right? I don't blame anybody there. I gave bad direction or I didn't clarify it or anything like that, but they're taking, you realize that they take more ownership in that, right? As you do those little things. Um, but if you translate it to your normal life too, it's like, you know, get up early, brush your teeth, make your bed, the right yeah. shit, right? Do things that you weren't done for you. And it's, it's, it's an awesome book. I briefed our people on it at work as, as for like a professional development thing. Yeah, that's a big one. Um, instead of like micromanaging a program like that, which is I mean, that would take all of your energy. You wouldn't be able to do shit 
right? Mm -hmm. Besides that. So what you're doing is you're facilitating and then you're also like encouraging them to come up with their own ideas, like within whatever your construct is, Definitely. right? For your idea of the training and eval program. So but if it fails, yeah. it's my fault. So I, I love it. Yeah, it's a good book. All right. Please continue to support the show by subscribing, rating, reviewing, and sharing. You can also check out the 58 West King Fantasy Football website at 58wkfantasy.com. You will find links to our social media there. A few well-written articles, league info, podcast updates, and a forum where you can leave messages for us or for anyone in the league. If you want to mind, check out the Taco Court Fantasy Football League podcast that's available on all podcast networks. Um, on the last episode, I didn't say this, but you could also check out the Champions Dynasty League podcast. That is the league that is created out of four different leagues, top three teams from this league, 58 West King, my league, Taco Court Fantasy Football League, Meaty Clackers, and OGB League, two other leagues, all highly competitive people, and we're starting a fantasy draft that, that is taking place as you are listening to this top three teams from four competitive leagues and we're starting up that podcast it's getting going the first episode was about kind of the league format and how we got there i would suggest checking that out it's just fun stuff on different ways and innovative stuff to do within fantasy within your own leagues too that you can implement yourself i think all these podcasts that we have put together i think it's unique because i think all of us work full-time i think most of us are in the military but those who aren't uh, also have a full-time job but we're also huge football fans huge fantasy fans and then we have guys who are into entertainment we have guys that are into uh, a lot of like leadership, self-improvement type things. So you get a little peek behind the scenes, like in our lives. And then you also get all that fantasy and football and all that other commentary. I think it definitely has some value and it's worth listening to. It's been a lot of fun for me to do these things, especially going through my own state of affairs to where it's kind of like a break. It gives me something else to think about, something else to do, something to research, right? I met in one of the previous episodes, me and Matt talk about our great friendship that we've developed, right? And I mean, he'll, he'll reach out to me, all this, you know, stuff like that. Just things I wouldn't expect, to, you know, friendships and different things and minds. Hearing people talk about how they think they could beat me in basketball and it's all bullshit. And I got screwed by being on a team with fucking one-eyed bandit pirate fucking Wayne Henry, like Jesus Christ. And, um, you know, just fun stuff like that. Like everybody has some sense of humor. You get to meet some people behind the scenes and you can really relate to a lot of different people learn a lot and i think everybody's fairly vulnerable to an extent on things that they talk about you know you wouldn't expect a bunch of guys like us who play fantasy sports and all this stuff to be talking about like our minds or how to raise kids and stuff like that you know it's it's kind of cool to say that they say there's more stuff out there than just clicking and putting rosters together and stuff that happen within a league that you, know, you find out about. For sure. A lot more value added than just subpar uh, fantasy advice. For sure. <laughs> all right. Well, that's another running back episode in the books. How's your stamina? I think you got one more in you. I can go all night. All right. We'll finish strong on the next one. Take it easy, man. Take care. Call me Susan. <laughs> <laughs> that sounded better than uh, I pictured it in my head.